The Bread and Butter podcast acknowledges the Yagara people and the Turbal people as the traditional custodians of Mainjin, the lands on which we record today. We pay our respects to the Yagara and Turbal elders, past, present, and emerging. This podcast is brought to you by Ayo Productions. Did I say good? Just to get you into it one more time. Maybe just in case. Okay. Go. Bread and Better Podcast. (laughs) Okay. Bread and Better Podcast. I feel like I am. Bread and Better Podcast. Hello and welcome back to Bread and Better. My name is Alex. I'm the co-host and producer of this podcast. I own Hey Our Productions, a boutique podcast production company, and I'm also a freelance feature writer. I am interested in all aspects of women's holistic health and well-being, whether it be mental health, fitness or nutrition. I want to share women's stories to build connection, and I'm so happy that I found someone to do that with. So nice. It sounds like a wedding speech. <laughs> I'm also happy to share my life with you. (laughs) And I'm Tegan. I am a sports nutritionist, a personal trainer, and a chef. I'm passionate about movement and food, as well as empowering women to be their best selves. I believe empowered women empower women. Along with Alex and our wonderful guests on the podcast, we aim to not only help you, but also help you shape those you influence with healthy habits and attitudes. We believe that better begins with us. Today, we are welcoming back Emma Slade, who we are already referring to as our resident psychologist. You all loved our last episode with Emma in which she spoke about mindset blocks around exercise. If you haven't listened yet, this was our sixth episode and we definitely recommend going back and having a listen. We are so excited that she has agreed to come back and share her knowledge with us. As well as working in the sport and exercise space and now doing a PhD, Emma has also worked with two bariatric surgeons where she saw patients before their gastric sleeve or gastric bypass surgery and again after their surgery for a follow-up. Emma worked with these clients to ensure that they were ready for the surgery and set up with the best chance of success afterwards because as we can all assume, eating habits can be deeply psychologically influenced. This gave her a lot of insight into eating habits and behaviours and the reasons why we may eat that aren't because we are hungry. Today we're going to dive into the topic of non-hungry eating patterns, where they come from, and some tools we can introduce to help overcome these behaviours when they aren't serving us positively. Over the course of this conversation, we will define hunger, discuss what non-hungry eating means for the context of this conversation, and look at the reasons that non-hungry eating might occur. We will also unpack where it might stem from and some practical steps to overcome it based on its type. For example, how to put strategies in place for boredom eating. We also touch on how to build a sense of your true hunger signals. Welcome again, Emma. Good morning. Thanks for having me back. It's our pleasure. So as this is your second time, you know how this works. We kick off the episode with the best thing that we ate in the past week. So what was the best thing that you have eaten recently, Em? Well, uh, last Sunday, I had my favorite ice cream, Magnum Caramel Ego. So this will really fit with today's topic about non-hungry eating uh, because I wasn't hungry when I had that Magnum. But yeah, that's definitely my favorite. So, And anyone in Brisbane knows last Sunday was extremely hot. Yeah, so that's just what I felt like. So that's what I had. Yum. The best thing that I ate this week. 
week. I should say the best five things because I went really overboard. This totally fits in with this week's episode, actually. So I've spoken about uh, Pacha in the past. They're a food van in our local Camp Hill community. So shout out to them. I'm obsessed. So they do gluten-free and dairy-free crepes and stuff, but she's recently started doing cookies and cookies are my favorite food. So I'm very excited. And you can order them and pick them up from her home on a Saturday. And I've done it every Saturday since she started. (laughs) Message her and I'm like, hey, me again. (laughs) Hello. Anyway, so I ordered five the first time and they were like walnut choc chip, which is like to die for. And they were so good. I ate all five and they were big. Anyway, that was um, on a Saturday afternoon and it was delicious and I've ordered some more for tomorrow. We can uh, dip into that today. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And Tegan, what was the best thing you ate? So my turn. I can guarantee you that I was very hungry when I ate this thing. Uh, So Rhett and I are currently house hunting on the Gold Coast. We're ready to make the move from Brisbane to the Gold Coast and there is this iconic uh, food place on the Gold Coast called Noodle. That's the whole name. It's just called Noodle <laughs> and it's like a Hong Kong style eatery. They have, um, and this is like an iconic Gold Coast dish. Like everybody that lives on the Gold Coast would know about it. Uh, they do this chicken and rice. So it's just like poached chicken and rice with some Chinese greens and then this curry sauce and chili oil. And the chili oil is like crunchy. The curry sauce is just, it's so good. I've tried to replicate it and I can't quite get it right. And I think Many people have tried to replicate mm. it and it's just nothing compares to the real thing. So as soon as Rhett and I knew we were going to be down there all day on Tuesday, I scheduled in Noodle for our dinner. And because I was very busy throughout the day looking at multiple different rentals, I was very hungry at the time that I ate said Noodle and it was chef's kiss. It looked delicious, except for the pile of death shallots on top. Oh, yeah. Alex <laughs> can't have shallots. <laughs> But it looked very good. We all have to have that one day for lunch post-pod recording on the GC. I can't imagine that it has gluten or dairy. However, the chili oil, I think, probably has yeah, shallots I wouldn't because they're chili. crunchy. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Chili oil, I just don't think would go down very well. <laughs> I love it. I was actually eating it like the night before the marathon. Oh, my and God. Julie has left. That's great. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a very good idea. <laughs> it was fine. <laughs> I saw all Didn't those. Myself. <laughs> I saw all those people doing the Sydney Marathon, and the, they had like a lack of toilets at the end, and the lines were like hundreds of people deep at the end of it. That's that's the situation before every running race. Really? Like there's and and because they always have a like a urinal, so the men can just kind of go to the urinal, but then you'll see all the men are in line for the toilet because obviously they need to go number two. Yeah, but it's so annoying. There's like been well. At the Gold Coast for the half, I couldn't wee before I started, so oh I had God. to go at a toilet in the race. And there wasn't that many toilets on the course, actually. I didn't get to go until 17Ks. Oh, my God. And I needed to go from about the start. That gives me so much anxiety. <laughs> I mean, there was some at the very beginning, but I was like, nah, not like maybe it'll be fine. But nah. from about 10Ks, I was about to pee my pants. Oh, my God. I've seen people just, like, go to the toilet while they're running. I would... I would go in someone's front yard. I wouldn't do it in my pants. Yeah. Slightly better. <laughs> I've had time to think about this. That's I can't I'd go behind the fence, so just to be clear. <laughs> She's got a plan A and a plan right B. Right into yeah, yeah, their yeah. front yard. <laughs> 
So it's always fun to talk about the favourite thing that we ate in the past week. So now we're going to pass it over to Emma and she's going to get into some of the reasons uh, why we eat and when we eat and eating behaviours and patterns. So take it away, Em. Well, thanks for those examples. We can definitely leverage upon those as we uh, get through the topic today. So one big you know, starting point whenever we're talking about our eating patterns, uh, our relationship with food, it's really important to acknowledge and, and a bit of a disclaimer here that, you know, for some people listening, there can be some concerns around food and around eating. So this may not be the podcast for you. So please just take that on board as you're listening. You can not listen to this episode at, at any point. But I would also say too that if this episode brings things up for you, which is part of psychology as we dive into things and we start unpacking, sometimes we don't know things until we know them uh, and it brings something up for you. So I would definitely say as well that, you know, if you get through this episode, through this podcast and, you know, you are looking for sources of support in this space, your GP is a really good starting point to, to start exploring that relationship with food and then looking at options that are available for you from there. But, you know, today we're going to be primarily talking about non-hungry eating. Uh, but I think it's really important first that we actually explore what hunger is. Most of us probably know what that is at a sort of innate level, but to really, you know, at a somewhat of a surface level, just to give an overview of what's happening when we do have hunger, to then in turn understand what's happening when we're engaging in this non-hungry eating. So the primary purpose of hunger is very much this evolutionary uh, survival mechanism. If we don't eat, we don't survive. Yeah. That's at its basis. Uh, so hunger at that basis is when we need food. And most people will be able to resonate with with this example of how hunger works. I say most people because, again, there are uh, portions of the population where these hormones in our body can act a little bit differently. So, again, if this is something that's not for you, you can go back to your GP and talk about that. But for most people, what happens is we eat. And as Tegan discussed in the calorie episode, as we eat, we're eating calories, we're eating energy. We then go about our daily activities, our breathing, our heart rate, that all burns calories, it all burns energy. Then after a while, our body goes, hang on a second, we need a little bit more food here to keep up these activities. So what's happening in our body is our hunger hormone called ghrelin starts to increase. And that signals to our brain that, hey, we need to up the hunger cues because we need food. So we're signaling to our brain, we need food. And then from there, the actions occur where we prepare food, we grab something to eat. Then as we start to eat, we have another hormone called leptin that starts to be released. So what it does is it lowers ghrelin and it tells our brain over time that we've had enough to eat. So ultimately it signals us to stop eating. So again, in some cases with some people, leptin and ghrelin aren't functioning properly. But for the purpose of today, we're going to assume that, they're, that those things are functioning properly and well in your body. So one way that we can think about this is a little bit like a seesaw, right? As one hormone goes up, the other one goes down, and then we need to to flip those hormones around and to feel satiated at the end of our, our eating and our meal. But as most of us can recognise, and even at the start of this podcast, we have other relationships of food where it's not that we need food, but we want food. And again, as another side note, we're not saying today and we're not demonising that you can't ever eat something when you're not hungry. Okay? I've worked in this space for years. And I say to my clients, I tell you right now, I emotionally eat, I stress eat, I eat when I'm bored. These are perfectly normal behaviors. But for some individuals, they do dip into that dysfunctional space. And for other people, they might recognize that this non-hungry eating is getting them further away from their goals. Now, at first stance, some people will say, well, you know, maybe I'm not trying to lose weight or change my aesthetic or change my body composition. Let's say if you are and you're engaging in non-hungry eating, again, that can be getting you further away from those goals. But we also want 
to think broadly too that if you have health and wellness goals, you know, if you're working on things like your blood pressure, your cholesterol, those sorts of aspects or different elements of health, but also your well-being. Yeah. You know, from the site perspective, if you're always engaging in stress eating to cope with your stress, and we'll start to unpack this a little bit more today, I would say that you know that's okay, but you're only using one tool in the toolbox. Okay, so your overall well-being then may not be as high as what it what it could potentially be. So you've already got me thinking about like non-hungry eating and with this is something I actually started thinking about when we were discussing what this episode was going to be. So, for example, with the cookies and with any little like snack for me, I think it's because of all of my allergies. When there's something I can eat, I'm like, well, I deserve this treat because I'm, you know, it's like Mm -hmm. a not a reward, but I feel like novelty. Yeah, I'm like, this doesn't happen to me all the time. But then I way overindulge. Yeah, so it's a little bit of what we can call the forbidden fruit effect. I won't take the credit for that. Glenn McIntosh, who runs weight management psychology, one of the practices I used to work at, works predominantly in this space and talks about this forbidden fruit effect. We see this happening with dieting as well, but it's similar with allergies. So this forbidden fruit effect where there's two kind of things happening. So in one instance where, you know, we don't have an allergy, Okay, but we're saying that we can't have said food. And what starts to happen, and this is a very evolutionary basis as well, where if we think back to however many millions of years ago and being cave women, it's like, okay, this is the feast time. Yeah. I have six months where I can feast and then I have six months of famine. Okay, so then when I finally get access to food again, I'm going for it. I'm taking in as much as I can. So this is the same when we have restrictive diets. Uh, Tegan used the example, I think in the last episode about calories, about chocolate. I can't have chocolate. It's bad. It's this, it's that. But then when you finally get access to it, give permission, or maybe you find today throughout the episode that you didn't give permission, but you went into this kind of like dissociation and just ate the whole block. That's the forbidden fruit. But it also happens with allergies. So there are so many things that you can't have that when you find something that you can have and you find something that sits in your body really, really well and you have a really lovely response to it, you're like, oh, my God, this is it. Yeah. So I want to go for it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a a different kind of forbidden fruit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That makes so much sense. And I have that with those health lab balls as well. Like sometimes I think about them. I'm like because they're the chocolate cookie dough ones and I'll like wake up and I have my – like most of the foods I eat during the day are all the same and like boring, but I have this health lab ball that I have once a day. But sometimes I won't even be hungry, but I'm just like I'll have another one like in the afternoon Mm -hmm. just because it's a treat and it's something to do and it's like, I don't know. And you want it. Yeah, There's key words I want. That's what I want. And then the more I'm like you don't need it, Alex. Like you're not hungry. You don't need to have two health lab balls in a day. But then I can't stop thinking about it Mm -hmm. and then I have to have it. Yeah. So a little bit later on we'll go through some strategies that can really help with that. Again, we're not sitting here saying that you can't have the second health lab ball yeah or people listening that you can't have said food and taking you talk about this a lot as well we have foods that have high nutritional value they have their macros and their micros and they're going to support our well-being and our health but we also have food i've got an example here like birthday cake i'm not eating birthday cake to hit my macros <laughs> and I'm not eating my birthday cake on my birthday when I'm hungry. Yeah. I'm probably eating it. I've just gone out for dinner and yeah, stuffed yeah. myself and had a great time and had a wine and whatnot. Yeah. And then ah, uh, my second stomach where yeah. my birthday cake goes. <laughs> Dessert stomach. Dessert stomach. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So when we're not denying people that you, that you have to do, oh, I can only eat when I'm hungry. But as we'll start to explore now and and where this has been established, we can start to really understand it with a bit of curiosity. And that's what I always say. You'll probably hear me say that in every podcast with our psych experience, be curious. 
We're not being judgmental. We're being curious to our experiences so we can understand them more and get insight. And then we can make more informed choices. Before this podcast, I was talking to Tegan. I'm like, I can distinctly remember a few years ago, something happening in my life and being the psychologist. I'm like, right, let me try all my different strategies that I use with my clients. And nothing really worked. And it wasn't going to, none of these strategies were really going to change the circumstances. But then I made the very mindful decision and intentional choice to to emotionally eat. So again, we're not saying that you will use that tool all the time, but because it was intentional, it was conscious, it was very mindful. And we'll go through that a little bit later on. I didn't have any guilt afterwards either. Yeah. And that's very different to when we start talking about emotional eating, where it's this concept of opening a bag of chips without you kind of even really recognizing it until your hand hits the bottom of the packet. Yeah. And you're like, holy shit, I just ate a whole bag of shit. And now I feel really bad and I feel guilty and I feel gross. There's sort of different differing experiences there. And I'm so excited for this episode. I said it to Emma about a thousand times this week because with the clients that I work with and a lot of them are working on weight management or optimal health goals, and this is just so common. They yeah. just emotionally eat, boredom eating, snacking when they don't need to. There's just I think we can all probably resonate with when we're eating, um, that we just don't need to and we might not particularly know why we are and how to stop it. So I'm so excited to dive into this and I think everybody's going to get so much out of it. So leading on from what we've already established, like what does it look like and where does it come from? So there's a few different areas and spaces where it comes from. As always, we want to start with upbringing, typical psych. (laughs) Tell me about your life when you were five. Yeah, I was about to say before, psychs love an analogy, hey? Yep, absolutely. (laughs) And if it's me, you can ask my students. And sometimes the analogies aren't really that great. Uh, I love analogies. I think you've got some good analogies. Yeah, I was going to say I use quite a few yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, they really help process things. Yeah. So let's start with childhood and upbringing. Again, preface, parents are always trying the best that they can with the resources that they have and also what they've been taught. Okay, so if you're a parent listening, don't throw your hands in the air and go, oh my gosh, I'm doing this all wrong. But a lot of our associations and our relationships with food, we are modelling off those that we commonly eat with. Even so, as an adult right, who we live with and who we share a fridge with. Yeah. So that's going to be at home who you live with, maybe in your workplace. You know, again, we can have those those interpersonal influences on our relationship with food. But with our upbringing, when we're told messages over and over again, so not necessarily just once, but there are repeated messages and patterns, we start to build a relationship with food. And this is where non-hungry eating can start to occur. Okay. Now I want to preface too, I don't have children, But I can imagine it's really difficult trying to decipher, is my child really not wanting to eat this or are they being picky? Yeah, yeah. Mm. We deal with that with Magnolia. She's six and she used to eat like everything, but now she's like, I'm not hungry if she gets something that she doesn't like. Mm -hmm. And then five minutes later she'll be like, can I have an apple or can I have this? And then we're like, is she not hungry? She just doesn't she like this? Like, mm-hmm. And then we find it really hard to be like, no, you sit down and eat it because then are we teaching her to eat when she's not hungry? It's mm-hmm. it's a minefield. Yeah. So we'll go through a strategy a little bit later on that can help. But again, when we're told things such as, you know, we're being sat down as a child and maybe this doesn't happen so much now, but being told that you can't leave the table until you clear your plate. Mm-hmm. Right. And that we want to respect too, that that very much comes from a space where perhaps our parents or our grandparents didn't have as much access to food and food was also quite expensive. 
Mm, right? We yeah. think about even like the Great Depression. Yeah. Right? And that's, again, where it really comes from. When you have access to food, you feast yeah. because we're going to have famine at some point. But what starts to happen is if we're told, hey, you can't leave the table until you clear your plate, what we're being told to do is, okay, well, I'm getting to the point of fullness and I'm recognising that, but I can't leave the table, so I need to clear this. So I almost then have to shut off that signalling, that messaging between my brain and my tummy telling me that I've had enough. Yeah. Okay, so that's where we kind of shove the rest of the food in so we can leave the table. Yeah. Mm, and yeah. we feel uncomfortable, but over time we somewhat get used to that. But in that process too, we get used to not listening to our tummy, to our stomach. Do you know what I just realised that I do, and this would like talk to that point of overeating more than we need to, because I was from the generation of, you know, well, one of the generations of you need to finish everything mm. on, on your plate. I eat the food that I like the least first mm-hmm. and leave the food that I like the most yep. I do that. to eat last. Mm-hmm. But that means I will never yeah. not finish a meal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that could be an interesting experiment to reverse order that. Yeah. Eat the things that you really enjoy first, right? And, again, with this technique that we'll go through a little bit later on, rating when am I starting to not feel as hungry and seeing if you can, and I use this with my clients, I'm like, see if you can leave a couple of mouthfuls of food quantity on your plate. Yeah. And you were going to find that. I would legitimately struggle with yes. that. I've never not cleared. Unless I'm really sick or pregnant, I never leave food on my plate, ever. Yeah. yeah. And it, it is, yeah. it's I don't very, know that I ever have. Yeah. Because it, it brings up discomfort. Yeah. And not just physical, but like emotional, psychological discomfort that, crap, like I probably should eat that, you yeah. know, and it's, you know, we're told things to like, when we're little, you know, we'll think about the starving kids in Africa. Yeah. I was just about to say, I like, it's a point of pride, how little food I waste. Yes. Yes. Same. Mm-hmm. But I feel I am guilty of like, I am conscious of a lot of things, but if my kids are wasting food and I know that they're hungry, they're just being fussy. I will literally, I'll be like, do you know that some kids don't have food? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. And again, as a parent, it's really difficult. Yeah. Right. And it's difficult, you know, when you've got three kids and you're trying to manage all of their relationships with food for them. Yeah. And I think too, as a parent, you know, your children best. Yeah. You know, when they're bunging it on because they just want to go around, run around or they want something else to eat versus when they are actually full. But yeah, we're told these messages when we're younger and even the, the message of, you know, wanting dessert, but being told that you have to finish everything on your plate to have dessert. All right. So again, like my instance. (laughs) Like two nodding dogs over here. (laughs) All right. So my instance of the birthday cake, it's like we learn then that, hey, if I want like the good stuff, if I want my Magnum, man, I can have lunch and I can finish that and clear that and still have space for that without being really mindful of how our body is reacting or responding to the food. Yeah, yeah. And, and to the quantity of food. So that's from our upbringing where it comes from. But there's a couple of other areas as well. One of my favourites is looking at how people build associations with certain foods. Mm-hmm. Tegan and I spoke about this early, early in the week where we kind of go through these food fads. You find something new yeah. or even your instance with the cookie, you find something that works well for you Yeah, and you can't stop eating it for six months until one day you're like, oh, I've had enough of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so, then you never eat it again. Yeah. So every opportunity that you have to have that food, you're going to take it because it's the latest and greatest thing. Yeah. Me with noodle. It's going to be dangerous when I live on the coast. Yeah, Yeah, me with cookies every Saturday. I'm like, is it Saturday yet? Yeah. So these are all associations that we're talking about. Certain days of the week, this is the day that I have takeaway. 
Mm. Whether I actually feel like takeaway or not, that's just what we do. Yeah. This is the day I have cookies. Hey, we're going to the Gold Coast. We always have noodle when we go to the Gold Coast. Yeah. Or like having something sweet after having your dinner. Yeah. yeah. It's like me. I'm going to Florence after this and I'm like, now I'm like, do I need my cake? <laughs> yeah. But the answer to that, do I need my cake? Yeah. Is probably the answer is always going to be no. Yeah. <laughs> but do I want it? And we're going to techniques in a little bit. You know, can I eat that mindfully and get every ounce of pleasure out of that cake? Yeah. That's yeah. ideally what we want. Yeah. Some other common associations that my clients have spoken about is building, and this is habit formation as well, you know, driving home from work, having a crap day at work, pulling into the petrol station to get petrol. I'll just grab a chocolate while I'm here. And then six months later, they're like, every time I pull into the petrol station, I'm buying a chocolate or a chocolate milk, right? Or, you know, an energy drink or whatever it may be. Even though I'm not actually checking in and that's what I want, I just do it because that habit and association has formed. Also too, getting home after work, and before dinner, raiding the pantry because you've had a crap day at work yeah. or having dinner. And then once everyone's gone to bed and you can finally relax, oh, now I have my treats. That's me. That's, I weigh. This is me every single night. I Once everyone goes to bed, that's my time to eat my treats uninterrupted. Mm-hmm. My little moons, my pan of ice cream. And I will have like, I'll have my two little moons and then I'm like, oh, like for anyone who hasn't listened before, little moons are like little mochi balls. And um, yeah, I'll have my two. And then it's like a battle in my head. Oh, I'll just have a third one. Like, and then I always have a third one, but mm-hmm. I'm never like hungry for it. And sometimes I'll even do that. And then I'll be like, oh, I want something else, you know, and then mm-hmm. I'll go and get another snack. Yeah. Like, yeah. And I'm most of the time when we're eating after dinner, we're not hungry yeah. because we just had dinner. Yeah. Getting home from work is a bit of, not the danger zone, I don't want to call it that, but like you're most likely already hungry and getting ready for dinner. Yeah. Right. So you are starting to have some level of hunger, but most of the time eating after dinner, you're not hungry. Yeah. And again, we're not saying don't do that, but being more mindful of it can really help you to understand, well, what am I actually getting from me? Another common association that I use with my clients is going to the movies and having popcorn. Mm. Right, because that's such a strong association that that's just what you do. Yeah, yeah. When you go to yeah. movies, you get popcorn. Yeah. But what's really interesting is that you're probably halfway through the box of popcorn as you're going through the pre-reels or the ads. Yeah. <laughs> and then it gets to like every time ten minutes into the movie, and again your hand hits the bottom of the box, and you're like, "Did I just eat large popcorn?" Oh, my popcorn's good. I make my kids wait. <laughs> I sit there and I'm like, "Don't touch that popcorn until the movie starts. Mm-hmm. It'll be all gone." Yeah. But- because this also leads into where non-hungry eating can also happen is due to the nature of our, our lives where we're very mindless. Right? Yeah. We've got lots of different things on. Okay, But even these instances of, of watching a movie, your eyes and your attention attentional focus is not on the popcorn. Yeah. right. It's kind of like the condiment, mm. kind of like the side dish to the movie. It's the accompanying dish. Yeah. So we've got our eyes and our focus on the movie. And I would also say too that we have our psychological and our emotional focus in on the movie as well, depending on how good the movie is. Yeah. Right. So our focus is not in on the popcorn. Again, I'm not saying don't eat popcorn at the movies or don't have a choc top, but it's a nice example then of how much intake we can have and then we only realise we're finished when we run out of food. Yeah. Very similar to clearing the plate. Yeah. Yeah, without ever actually checking in like, how is this working for me? Yeah. Another common one, eating dinner or eating anything and watching TV. Mm. I've done this experiment before where if I sit at the dinner table and actually look at my meal, right, I'm very much more cognitively aware of, how, of my food intake versus sitting on the couch 
watching the project or whatever was on TV and just like kind of like shoveling the food in. Yeah. Right. And you look yeah. down and you're like, oh, my goodness, like I've eaten three quarters of this meal, but I don't even feel it's touched the side. I've never been a couch eater because I can't enjoy – I'm a foodie more than I'm a yeah. TV buff and I yeah. can't enjoy – and it's hard to cut. I'm not into it. We've only, we only, and like lately, this has been the case because we've been so busy. But if my table, dining table slash washing basket, <laughs> is covered in folded clothes that I can't be put bothered putting away, then we'll all sit on the couch. And um, yeah, definitely. Like, what's the point in having this like beautiful meal if mm-hmm. you aren't even going to think about it while you're eating it? Yeah. Such a distraction. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, we'll go through some techniques for that today. And then lastly, you know, with this non-hungry eating, it's where food is providing us with something else, some, some other function beside fuel. And this is when we start to talk about, you know, boredom eating, stress eating, emotional eating, or even say like celebrations and socials. Yeah. Okay. So it's really common for people to recognise that they emotionally eat or they stress eat or boredom eat and go, oh, you know, I'm so stupid. Like I don't know why I eat this. Right. And so, again, in comes this judgement mm-hmm. of me being bad because I ate yeah. when I wasn't hungry. But, again, I would encourage people to to first appreciate that this is a very normal experience. And again, with curiosity, we can understand what's actually the food providing you with. Yeah. So when we look at emotional eating, most of the time it's providing some sort of emotional relief. And even if that only happens for a split second, right, where you're experiencing a particular emotion, you eat a certain food in a certain amount, and then you feel momentarily better. Yeah. For a minute, 30 seconds. And then most likely you feel guilty because you just ate whatever. Yeah. And then you still like feel like shit anyways. But in that scary of time there, you've got a sense of relief. Yeah. So that's why you keep going back to it. Yeah. And I would say that's very normal and that your brain is normal yeah. right? because it has found something that works for it. Same as stress eating. I feel stressed or I have the experience of stress. I eat. I momentarily don't feel stressed. And then I go back to, to what's happening. Yeah. Boredom eating, right? Yeah. Food's great. Food's exciting. Yeah. We'll talk yeah, about this in a moment, right? And so it's like I'm bored. Yeah. And then I eat. It's like, woo, yeah. this is fun. Something to do. Something to do. Yeah. Yeah. I procrastination eat sometimes. Like mm-hmm. I'm mm. going to start this task, but first I'm just going to go have a little snack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I did this yesterday. I had to like clean and I had like a bunch of work to do. But instead I was like, I'm going to go and defrost a piece of chicken and cook a whole pasta dish for myself for lunch before I do any of it. And then I ran out of time to do all of my tasks because I was mm-hmm. too busy eating. Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't go to the effort of defrosting chicken. Yeah, I know. That was... I'm talking about getting some rice grains <laughs> from the cupboard. <laughs> nah, I know that's, how to. That's, that's, that's... <laughs> I really didn't want to We need a procrastination <laughs> episode. <laughs> I'm, I'm queen of procrastination. But maybe we can take those two examples and start to explore what's actually happening there for you. Because there might be some different things. So one thing that I get my, my clients to do is to keep a food diary. And again, this is not because I'm going to come in and then judge what they're eating and judge the amount. What we were trying to do is we're first off trying to explore patterns, mm. right? Is your non-hungry eating, so if this is stress eating, procrastination eating, boredom eating, emotional eating, whatever it is, is there a pattern to it? Right? And for some people there is, some other people there's not. But sometimes when there is, it's certain days, it's certain locations, certain people are around, maybe it's by themselves, it's certain foods, certain amounts. Mm. Yeah. So if we can get an understanding of that, then we can make a strategy and approach that's a bit more individualized. Yeah. But even starting to think about these instances of where you commonly procrastinate eat or, or these two examples that you've got, 
thinking about, okay, well, where were you? Okay. Uh, in the house where the food is. Yeah. Always yeah. in the house. Yeah, I was in the house. Sometimes yep. it's like even tasks that I like to do. Mm-hmm. It like annoys me. Yeah. Like it'll be something that I'm looking forward to doing, mm-hmm. but I'm like I'll just go have a little snack first before I get started. Yeah, mm-hmm. mine's not things I want to do. Yep. Mine's like generally cleaning. <laughs> I'll do yeah. anything to get out of doing that. Mm. So maybe if we use this example where ours like this is like an avoidance and Tegan, let's go with the example where you feel excited to do something. You're like, I'm looking forward to it and I'm yeah. eating. Like what's going on? What's the emotional experience for you both in those moments before you eat? Dread <laughs> mm-hmm. and annoyance because like, yeah, I'm just going to say it. So I get annoyed because I'm, well, I won't say stay at home mum. I've been at home since Oscar was born, so for like nine years. Mm. But I do work, mm-hmm. but Kev physically goes to work, mm-hmm. whereas I work from home. Mm-hmm. So I think I feel it very unfair mm-hmm. that I'm at home cleaning. Mm-hmm. Even though he cleans a lot, like he does a lot, but I, I'm just like thinking of him at work, like having fun with his friends, listening to podcasts mm-hmm. and sitting down and relaxing, whereas I'm like at home trying to fit my work in, looking after soul, and then I have to clean. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm like, oh, if I do this other task then we have to do the cleaning together when he gets home. Yeah, so maybe there's, if we stick with Al's example for a moment, so what we're hearing there is is it starts off as dread and annoyance, but then it, it somewhat turns into almost this unjust feeling where it's like, well, hang on a second, I'm I'm missing out. Yeah, Kev's at work and doing his work things and leaving the house and I'm at home sort of in the status quo doing the things. Yeah. So then, so there's a kind of, there's a collection there of emotions. And again, I would say it's never as clear as just like, I feel sad. Sometimes it is, but sometimes we have even conflicting emotions happening. But in this instance, okay, so then we're feeling, you know, it's unfair, maybe frustrated, a bit annoyed. Then we have said food. Yeah. Then how do you feel? And I would say there's, there's sort of two time points. How do you feel maybe when you're eating the food and just after? Yeah. And then after you've completely finished, then how do you feel? Yeah. Well, when I'm eating it, I feel good because mm-hmm. it's yummy. Mm-hmm. And then after I eat it, I probably feel guilty because I've eaten too much and I wasn't hungry. Mm-hmm. And then after all of it, I feel annoyed at myself because I've just wasted half an hour when I could have been doing the thing that I was supposed to be doing yeah, yeah. that now I'll have to do later on. Yeah. Yeah. So what the – and when we look back on it, so, again, we have these – things are beautiful in hindsight. We look back and we're like, oh, yeah, you know, it was really yummy, but then it, it set me back half an hour and it, it kind of just made me more frustrated. Yeah. Right. So that's our – we have two parts of brain where one is very logical, right, so it, it's somewhat slower, it likes to think things through, one plus one equals two, yada, yada, yada. And this is where hindsight comes from. Oh, yeah, well, I did that and I did this and then I felt that and it really didn't get me anywhere. Oh, okay, cool. Like I'm even annoyed now talking about it. Yeah. But in the moment we're in emotion mind and emotion mind doesn't have time to sit around. Yeah. It's reactive and responsive and it's telling you how you feel right now and most of the time that's the thing that we act on. Yeah. So even though you're not hungry and we could, you know, we could run a psychology session and, you know, relationship and, like, yeah. you know, household chores and blah, blah, blah. Mental load. <laughs> yes. We won't do that today. Um, but, you know, this is the directions and this is what I said at the start when people just go, oh, well, this is my relationship with food and we start to dive into it. And for some people they're like, you know, we start unpacking, not to say that this is the case for you, but we start to unpack things like relationship issues, yeah. you know, trauma, like all of this stuff. And it comes up and they're like, how do we get from here to here? Yeah. Like, mm. How do we get from here making myself faster? Yeah. <laughs> but in that moment, right, 
the pasta and maybe even the act of cooking for self. It's like, this is just for me. Yeah. I'm going to take this time because he's off working and I'm at home and whatnot. But then after the fact, recognizing like, oh, it's actually didn't really get me towards my goals. Yeah. So maybe there is a bit of a middle space there as well. We're not going to deny you of cooking for self. Yeah. But maybe, you know, to flip it on the other way, it's like, okay, well, if I am at home, maybe cooking for self is actually a really important part of my day. Yeah. And we could go down into like, you know, other avenues as well. But for starters, it's like maybe that's actually just really important to me. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That, you know, when I've got my day of like doing the school drop off and then getting home and doing work and then I've got to do the cleaning and then I've got to pick the kids up and blah, blah, blah. Where is that period of time in the day where I feel I'm doing something for self? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe we don't actually have to change it at all. Yeah. Yeah. Or just like put it in. Schedule it. Yes. Schedule it. Or if I'm not doing it out of like resentment or something, if I'm doing it to actually feed myself because I'm hungry and have it for lunch because it feels nice, then I guess Mm. I won't feel guilty. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what we're looking for too. Like if we're, for some people are like, no, I want to get rid of this eating behavior, this relationship with this food, whatnot. We can work on that. Right. And again, for some instances, it is about going and making bigger calls in life. Yeah. It's not so much as rescheduling when you eat the food, but you know, like I've had clients before when they're like, they're like, shit, like this relationship as isn't actually working for me. Yeah. This is where a lot of my eating habits, like there's sort of the, the aid for how I'm feeling emotionally in my relationship now preface. I'm not saying that this is the case for everyone. <laughs> Don't everyone go, oh, my gosh, I've got relationship issues. But this is where we start to dive down, right? But it could be more surface-level things where it's like, hey, schedule in you time yeah. to make it part of your day. Then you don't need to feel guilty about it. Yeah. But you're also supporting self. Yeah. Yeah. So I think I'm getting better at doing some more things for myself. And we did that whole self-care episode. Like my Fridays are like kind of for me. But yeah, a lot of the time during the week, I'm like, oh my God, everything I do is for like this household or the rest of the family. Mm-hmm. And like nothing is for me. Yeah. Other than I feel like my work's for me. But then I guess also that's I should do things that mm-hmm. are I've got a good example, client example of a mum who was working full time and she's like, you know, I just get home and then everyone just wants a piece of me. Yeah. Two kids, my husband, like, you know, and she's like, and that was where her primary uh, time of non-hungry eating would occur. We would also say though that she probably was hungry. She just got home from work and getting ready for dinner, right, but engaging in this mindless eating behavior and so her solution that she came back with was she had a chat with the rest of her family and she was undergoing surgery yeah right so that myself and her surgeon spoke to her about that hey we really can't we don't really have a space for this habit and behavior anymore yeah you just don't have the wiggle room to do this but rather than just letting her walk the plank and go okay well don't do that but we'll just leave you there um we actually came up with this strategy well the client came up with this strategy and, and she came back and she's like right spoken to my children, my hubby about surgery, but I've also said to them that I need to stop this behavior. But why I do it is because I just want 15 minutes to myself. And somehow this has been established that if I come home and I'm drinking a glass of wine and got a bag of potato chips, everyone leaves me alone. Yeah. Like it signals like, oh, this is mum's time. Don't come near me. (laughs) So what she did, and again, this will sound really weird to some people, but she's like, I bought a coffee table. With a, and it's my jigsaw puzzle table yeah. and no one is to touch it is my jigsaw table. And she's like, I come home and she's like, I do it for 15 minutes Yeah, where I can just process the day and I can think about what has annoyed me and what went really well. I can just kind of mull out and think about something as silly as a jigsaw puzzle for 15 minutes. Yeah, And then I'm all there for everyone after that time. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Now, again, people listening will be like, well, that's not eating food, correct. But yeah. what it's doing is it's providing the same function. She was able to dive in and go, the food is providing me 15 minutes of me time. Yeah. How can I do that differently? I And I'm, we're obviously going to get into this more when we talk about practical steps to overcome mm-hmm. these things. But when I'm working with a lot of my clients that are engaging in these behaviours, and I just like that you were saying that you were building a strategy, like people think that the solution is just sheer willpower. Mm-hmm. And I I have to explain to people like you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the level of your system. So it's about putting these tools and strategies in place to make sure that you have a way to deal. Like the solution is never to just just stop doing the thing. Yeah. Just yeah. try and sheer willpower. Yeah. Right? Like I've it, no willpower. It's it's gonna be so limited. Whereas if and, and and this is the whole thing that we're gonna be talking about, if you can first identify where it comes from and then have a strategy in place, you've got a way better chance of success, right? Yeah, absolutely. It always makes me laugh when, you know, clients come in like, I thought you were just going to tell me just to stop doing it. Yeah. I'm like, mate, you're not paying money for me just to tell you that. (laughs) You know that. I know that. Yeah. We all know it. And maybe you know someone who engages in this type of eating and you're like, oh, I just don't know why they do it. Like they know it's not good for them and blah, 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 because it serves function and purpose. Yeah. Until we dive in and understand that and unpack it, then we match a strategy to it, right? You're going to have a greater chance of success in changing this behavior and also to understanding it. Yeah. To normalize it that, hey, I can dip into this habit if I want to, right? Into this eating behavior. But when I dip into it because I'm making conscious choice, that's very different to just mindlessly diving into it. Yeah. And just almost. won't say dissociating but you know it's just this blurry eating occurrence and then you're like oh crap so we take maybe if we look at taking your example right so even you said that even if i have a task that i'm looking forward to doing like working on a project or whatever it may be but there's still this scene like oh i'll just go have some rice crackers yeah and then i'll come back what's the emotion in that moment so the whole time that you were talking you probably won't be able to use any of the snips because i was like what is the emotion? And I was really <laughs> thinking about it. And I was thinking back on like when this would happen to me most likely would be like on a Wednesday mm-hmm. when it's like my big check-in day. And mm-hmm. it's a day that like I'm on the computer at 9am and I don't get off the computer until 8pm. Mm-hmm. And I think that the emotion might be overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At just my sheer workload Not that I am overbooked or Mm -hmm. anything like that. It's just like I know I have a lot to do. Mm -hmm. So I'll go and procrastinate getting started Mm -hmm. by having a snack. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then when I get into it, I think, oh, why did I even procrastinate? Like I'm into it. I love this. This Mm -hmm. is the best. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then I think then the emotion is like, well, I just lost half an hour. And that's the thing about procrastination, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so it, it's, it's always like you're always losing time. Yeah. Yeah, it's literally the, the idea. Yeah. But also too with that, so it's like, okay, where does procrastination and avoidance come from? Well, there's an experience and that recognition of, okay, I know I'm experiencing overwhelm, okay, and perhaps if I dive into my work now, things related to the overwhelm will start to appear. Mm. Right. So maybe to extend it a little bit, it's like well, if I if I think I'm overwhelmed and then I start doing the work and then I'm like, holy shit, I have overbooked myself. Mm. It becomes this reality where if I put that off, yeah, right, and I kind of just you know smoothly kind of just like tiptoe into my work. It's a much more gentle approach. Right. We also say too, procrastination gives you this gives you this sort of distance from the intensity of the emotion, but as you're appreciating over time, it continues to build. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So it could be. 
maybe more so for you, Tegan, it could be more of a behavioural experiment and it's like, right, I've got clarity around it. It happens on Wednesdays right? Mm. because I've got a big day and it's not that I've set my day up and it's unrealistic, it's just a big day, right? And maybe there's other tenants there too where it's like it's my own business, right? So I've got to deliver and it's... Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's not just working for someone. I was going to say just working for someone, but, you know, it's your own business, it's your own show and it's wanting to put in a lot of effort with that. It's really important to me that my check-ins are done to a really high standard. Yeah. 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 So it could be doing more of a behavioural experiment and going, I know that this happens for me on Wednesdays and I know that I start at nine, but there'll be certain points where I'm like, oh, I'll just have something to eat, mm-hmm. procrastinate for half an hour. And it's like, okay, well, can I do a behavioural experiment where I've noted these down and it's like I could go get something to eat. Actually, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try and start this task and I'm just going to see what happens. Yeah. And with lived experience then of, oh, well, I just start my task and nothing happens, mm. right? And it's like, oh, great, cool, like soldier on. With more of that lived experience, it then sets the tone then that Wednesdays don't become this yeah. sort of procrastination state. And I think, and I'm sure that this is probably going to be one of the strategies, I think it's like opportunity as well, like mm. because I'm working from home and the yes. food is right there. Mm. Like I was working from the Gold Coast in the car for a lot of the day on Tuesday mm-hmm. and I packed my brekkie and I packed like a light lunch and then we were going to noodle and I just packed breakfast, lunch and dinner mm-hmm. and come to dinner I was hungry but, like, usually throughout the course of the day, like, I would have snacks as well mm. because they're right there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I don't even need these snacks. Like, my mm-hmm. body is not telling me that I'm hungry for mm-hmm. these snacks. Breakfast, lunch and dinner is sufficient mm-hmm. yeah. for me if, you know, protein's high, satiated. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think actually just you've made me think of this as well. I think for me, because I need structure and being like a stay-at-home mum and stuff, there's a, like not a lot of structure in that. So I think for me my snacks are a way to structure my day. Mm-hmm. Like I'll go do drop-off and then at 10 o'clock I'll have a snack and then at 12 o'clock I'll have lunch and then at 2 o'clock I'll have my coffee and another snack. And so it's like a way of getting through the day mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, and that's a really common association that a lot of people have is with times. Yeah. I know that my grandparents, 10 o'clock, no matter where you are, 10 o'clock in the morning, you're having a cup of tea and a snack. Yeah. If we're on a road trip, we're pulling over. Yeah. Morning tea time. Right. And I would say too that over time that their their hunger has been regulated to that where they are actually hungry. Yeah. Right. But it becomes this association that to have structure in day, this is then when we eat. Yeah. Again, we're not saying that it's a bad thing and particularly too like if you work from home and you're looking to divvy up your day or you're in a workplace when you're told when to eat, like this is your lunch hour, mm. right? we find over time that our bodies will regulate to that. We can kind of get into a cycle where, you know, we do have this fluctuation in hunger and we eat and it dips down and whatnot. So, again, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. yeah. But I think if we can more so understand when we've got these instances of non-hungry eating that just kind of occur and we're like, hang on a second, what was that all about? Yeah. Right. It puts us in a, a powerful position then if we want to make the change and we can. Yeah. So we've already hinted on a few of the strategies that you can use to overcome uh, this non-hungry eating. Let's get into that a little bit more. Yeah, cool. So we can continue with this idea of keeping like a food log or a food journal. And again, to preface, this is not because we want to be judgmental about what you're eating, but we want to see, okay, well, when is the non-hungry eating occurring? Uh, what types of food? So again, sometimes we have patterns with the food that we'll go for. So what you can picture is just, you can do this on a Word document, you can do it in a journal, whatever you like. Noting down, this will be very much after the fact. And for starters, this will be very much in hindsight. Okay. So it's after the event of the non-hungry eating, because that's where we tend to start working from. So first off, you would note down the day, the date, time, where you're at, 
at who's around, if you're by yourself, if you're at work, and then start to explore, okay, what has happened? So in psychological terms, this is the antecedent. So whenever we're talking about an antecedent, that's the thing that happens at the beginning of a behavior, okay? So you can also think about like a trigger. That might be easier to understand. But emotionally, what's happening for you? How are you feeling? Physically, how are you feeling? Are you feeling tired? Are you feeling really drained? Are you feeling really energetic? Then you would write down the food that you ate and how much of it. And then you would write down the consequence. So again, in psychological terms, consequence isn't always a negative. Consequence is simply the outcome of said behavior. Okay. So again, as we did before, dipping into like, what did it actually give you in that moment? Okay. And then you could also have these after emotions as well. We experience emotions about the eating event. So building a little bit of a catalog of that to firstly say, well, What's actually happening here? Now, most people will kind of know off the top of their head where their non-hungry eating happens to occur. But some people are like, I don't know where to start. Right? So noting this down in hindsight can be a really good one. Part of that also too, and this is a great skill for everyone to start to learn, is their level of hunger and fullness when they're engaging in that non-hungry eating. Okay, so like I said at the start, we're somewhat taught, and we can be taught this from a very young age or even as an adult, I'm not, you know, my body is signaling to me that I am hungry, but I don't have time to eat. So I'm just going to shut off from that. Conversely, my body is signaling to me that I'm full, but I'm at the buffet. I'm getting my money's worth. Mm-hmm. And look, I don't, I don't have to eat ever again in my life. I'm going for it. Yeah. So I'll just shut off from my body. Okay? But we want to start to understand what does hunger and fullness actually look like for you? And again, what does it look like and feel like for you? But what does it look like when you engage in this non-hungry eating? Because like I said before, some instances it's like maybe you are actually in the zone where you are hungry. Yeah. You know, so maybe getting home from work and having an earlier dinner would negate some of that non-hungry, what we're calling like um, stress eating, if you like, not non-hungry eating because you are a bit hungry. Yeah. Yeah. So building an understanding of that. Yeah. So what you can picture is a scale from one to ten. So one is you are so starving that if you do not eat right now, you feel like you're going to faint, you feel really, really weak, you feel dizzy. And the other end at 10 is like painfully full. So again, you've been to the buffet and you've got your money's worth and almost that sensation of like, I never want to look at food again. I'm so painfully full Mm. and rating yourself on that. Ideally, throughout each day, we want to hover between like a three to four up to maybe like a six to seven. Okay, so again, when we've got that ghrelin and leptin, those hunger hormones and fullness hormones operating, it's like a gentle seesaw, right? So at the day I get a bit hungry, so I'm dipping down on the scale, right? And then when I eat, right, I eat just enough to get up to sort of that six to seven mark. Yeah. And then I burn that fuel and it just, throughout the day, it's just this nice regulated seesaw of eating and a little bit of fullness and then eating and whatnot. Now, what we tend to do in our, the nature of our busy lives is it's very common that we go beyond that point of four or three in the starving sort of end of the of the range and we're waiting until we're like a two yeah, because we're busy. Yeah. And, again, I don't want to sit here and be like there are some instances where people are like, I'm a nurse, yeah. but I can't just eat when I want. It's yeah. out of your control, yeah. Yeah, so I want to understand that, you know, because sometimes like, well, this is great for you sitting in your, you know, your air-conned office. Yeah. Um, but we want to try our best then to regulate as best you can in those instances. Yeah. Okay? Because, again, what will happen is if you're dipping down into like level two starving, your body's natural response when it gets access to food will be to rebound up to eight, nine, maybe even ten. 
Yeah. Because it's kicked into survival mode. Again, the cave woman has come out and been like, I'm starving, I need to eat to keep myself alive. So it will go for it. Yeah. Now, in that process, what is lost is mindful eating, right? So, again, sometimes I have this when, you know, I've been teaching at uni and I'm like, I'll just drive home and have lunch. Can guarantee that if I don't have something prepped, when I finally get access to food, I'm going for it because yeah. I'm beyond hungry now. Mm. Yeah. But if we go back to this idea of then rating this, we can start to understand, well, when you're engaging in your non-hungry eating, right, are you up that end? Right, where you're like, yeah, I'm definitely not hungry. I'm like a seven or eight. Because what happens if you can understand for starters that, okay, I'm recognising by filling out this diary that I'm actually not overly hungry, you can still give yourself permission to eat the food, but maybe not as much of it because yeah. you're recognising that this is not for hunger purposes. It's it's a want. It's a want and so it's it to satisfy be, a different need. Yeah. So it could be like, for an example, if you're someone that wants or likes to have something sweet after dinner, it would be like having a magnum that would push you up to an eight or a 10 mm-hmm. versus having one square of dark chocolate, which is going to keep you on a level seven. Yeah, absolutely. And as a, a bit of an experiment too, and this will lead into this idea of mindful eating, when we're engaging in non-hungry eating, a lot of the time the smaller amount of food will still do the job. Right? Yeah. So I talk about my magnum that I had on Sunday and I deliberated a little bit. I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, because it's not really in line with my goals. My boyfriend was like, do you want it or not? Yeah. yeah. And he's That's like, simple. Yeah. <laughs> like just, he's like, just have it. And I, he's like, oh, where will we get it from? I'm like, well, you can get singles from the petrol station. <laughs> and he's like, we'll just go to Coles because it's more cost effective. And I'm yeah. like, babe, I don't want four. Yeah. He's like, yeah, just came at my house. <laughs> I'll be fine, wink, wink, that he will eat the rest. Yeah. But what I noticed is that when we went the cost-effective method and we bought four, they're actually smaller portions uh. compared to the size of the ones at the petrol station. Oh, they are too. And yeah. I'm just thinking about because I've tracked for so long knowing the calories of each where it's like 300 versus like a 230 Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't mean to do this, right? My boyfriend kind of helped with it inadvertently, but I was still able to have the thing that I wanted, right, because I felt like something sweet and it was a hot day. But I was able to do it in a way that still worked for my goals by going seemingly so with the lower portion size. Mm, yeah. right? So I wasn't denying self. But again, I was recognising and I remember saying this to him, I'm like, I'm not eating this because I'm hungry. Yeah. It's actually just because I want to chill out. Yeah. If that was me in your situation, right, and mm. you got the four pack and they're a bit smaller, I would have been like, cool, I can have two because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're a little bit smaller. Mm-hmm. And I would not have left them in the freezer. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can, you know, let's leave this idea of keeping the diary for a moment. Let's jump into another strategy that will help. So the diary is really good for building an understanding of like, are there any themes and patterns to my non-hungry eating? What's the function that's fulfilling? And then we can come back in a moment to like, okay, well, you can fulfill those, perhaps those emotions or that stress or whatnot in a different way. Mm-hmm. So the diary will allow us to determine whether it is boredom, yes. stress, procrastination, emotion. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where it's really hard to give like a prescription, I guess, Yeah, in this episode, because it really depends what someone pulls out of that. Yeah. You yeah. know, it could be something as simple. So my example from when I was still at home, living at home and, you know, mum did the groceries and I'd be in my room studying and I'm just like, I get to a point, I'm like, I can't work this thing out. Like it's really, really difficult. And I remember this habit where I would get up and I'd go to the fridge and open the fridge and look for something. I don't know what. And then I just close it. I wouldn't get anything. <laughs> and then I'd go back and study. Yeah. And after a while, I guess as I started learning more about this, I was like, why? Like, what is that doing? And I'm like, I'm looking for a break. 
circuit yeah. breakers. I'm looking for say, a circuit yeah. breaker. This yeah. is I've been studying for two hours, so now I know that yeah, I'm sort of reaching that cognitive threshold where yes, I do need to have a break. But I'm looking for a break in the fridge. I always said to my mum, I'm like, I'm looking for the answers in the fridge, like, <laughs> seemingly. But once I knew that, there's plenty of different ways I can I can execute that same function. I can go yeah. for a walk, planned breaks. Yeah, I can go outside with the dog. Like I can. You could set focus periods for 45 minutes. That's and it. And then have a 15 minute break. Yeah, or changing yeah. tasks, doing something that's not as mind um, bending. Yeah. Reply to emails or something. So, again, if you do this at home, building an understanding of am I hungry? Am I not hungry? What I'm eating? When is this happening? Who's around and whatnot? But then again, that will then dictate the strategy that you use. Yeah. And this is where potentially I've had clients before and it's like, yeah, I'm eating because I'm I'm emotional. Yeah. And then we start to unpack why they're emotional and it's like, yeah, this thing's not going to change with one session. Yeah. Or a certain strategy. Like your strategy actually is psychological therapy. Yeah. 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 Because that's what's needed to, to heal this emotional stress and trauma. trauma. Yeah. 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 So this is what I've been thinking the whole time and this is something that I talk about with my clients is one of the strategies that people need to think about is to set your environment up for success, like Mm -hmm. remove the triggers where possible or the associations where possible because, you know, we're all human and our willpower is not like the difference between someone that has a good handle on this and someone that doesn't isn't necessarily that they have better willpower, right? Correct. It's that they have set their environment up for success. Yeah, they've explored it and they've gone, okay, well, how can I do this? Yeah. The example of the client driving in and building this association of petrol station and, and chocolate, you know, to start off with, we use sticky notes on the dash, right? Not over the speedo, but near the fuel <laughs> gauge. And it was like, you know, and he'd put different comments on there each day. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't need this. Yeah. Or I can go home and use this other strategy that if I'm feeling stressed. Now, obviously, over time, our brain will start to not notice the sticky notes. Yeah, Because totally. it becomes just part of the environment. So then you change it up. Yeah. It's in a different position or it's an alarm on the phone or it's some sort of other prompt that can cue in when an emotion is happening. That little bit of like rational mind can go, hang on a second. This is where it happens. And this is why I'm always saying it's okay to operate in hindsight first. Yeah. Until you build enough and understand that when you're in said situation, then you can execute a different strategy. Yeah. It's like if you would to go to the same coffee shop every day that has this treat that is your absolute favorite treat and it's sitting there on the counter every day. Mm-hmm. A, a simple solution was go to a different coffee shop. Just change one thing about the environment. And see yeah, what happens. That could massively change. And if that doesn't work, try a different strategy. Like yeah. it's not going to be like click your fingers and this is going to be the solution. We might need to mm-hmm. try out a few different things, right? Even that idea that, that of the cafe where you go and you order your coffee every day and then you buy an armor croissant with it once and then that just becomes a habit yeah. uh, or whatever it is. Um, and croissants are... Legit. The legit stuff. Yeah, yeah, they are. Yum. I don't blame you. <laughs> but again, this can also just be habit formation as well. So I always encourage my clients. I'm like, hey, don't buy it. And that's not to be a writing reflex of like, don't do that. But it's like as a behavioral experiment, don't buy said item knowing that it's there and then walk out of the coffee shop and see how you feel. Now I have, I wouldn't say an addiction, but one of my classic foods is these dreamy chocolate chip cookies from Woolworths. Yeah. Uh, they're in a five pack. And I'm like, again, that's in alignment with my goal to eat five, but I do. So often I use this strategy. I'm like, oh, I really feel like those cookies like, would go so well with the coffee right now. But then I look and I look at them in the shop. 
And I'm like, well, I can just walk out. And if I'm still thinking about it, I can just come back and buy yeah. it. Nine times out of ten, I'm walking out of the shop and I'm not thinking about it again. Well, so you probably can't be bothered going back yeah. in. So that's a good right. Yeah. Making it harder for yourself, which I guess is the same as like going to another cafe, you're making it. You're adding a la- another layer of resistance. Yeah. 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 And you just but you're also adding a layer of resistance that still gives you autonomy. Yeah. Right. So again, people, what I mean by that is people often don't like being backed into a corner. Again, yeah. you can't have the cookie, Emma. How dare you? No, you can't have that. Yeah. Where if I say to myself, like, if I walk out of here and then I still want it, I can, can come back and I can get it. Yeah. There have been times too that I'm like, I'm going to go to Woolworths and buy those cookies. Yeah. I'm yeah. doing I'm doing groceries after this. So I'm like, oh. And I'm, then I'll go and look at them and I'm like, I actually don't want them. Yeah. Like, whatever. Yeah. To give an example, like to talk about, I think a lot of people non-hungry eat over the weekend. Mm-hmm. Like weekends would be just like an mm-hmm. association, like we were saying before. Mm-hmm. Something that I talk about with my clients is – if you feel like having, going back to an almond croissant, an almond croissant on a Tuesday, a lot of what people will do is say, I'll, I'll get it on the weekend. Mm-hmm. And the problem is on the weekend, we might be going out for brekkie, mm-hmm. we might be going out for dinner, and then we're cramming that almond croissant in there as well. A technique that I give my clients is to try and make the weekdays and the weekends look more similar. Mm. So if you want to have a treat on a Tuesday, have the treat on the Tuesday because you haven't deprived yourself and you don't have that forbidden fruit effect that Mm -hmm. you spoke about earlier. But then when it gets to the weekend, you're going to be more content having your fruit and having your protein shake and then balancing it out with a nice meal out rather than having this clean week forbidden fruit effect kicks in because you haven't allowed Mm. yourself any of that Mm. and then association kicks in and you're cramming it all into the weekend and moving yourself further away from your goals and finishing every weekend feeling a little bit crappy, a little bit guilty, Mm. having to start again on Monday. Yeah. Yeah, and I would say that association with weekends is a really big one. Yeah. right. And it's the same with other, you know, birthdays, Easter, Christmas, right? It's like, well, we just wait till then. That's yeah. the food. I know my family, there's certain foods that are only brought out at Christmas time, mm-hmm. right? So there's this real, it's been a really tried and tested practice now for me over the past few years where it's like, I actually don't need to overeat this. Yeah. Like if I wanted red cabbage salad in July <laughs> or May, I could just make it. Yeah. Like that's okay. And I think that's a really nice place to get to in your health journey. I think I realized the same thing recently where I would only really eat out or drink alcohol over the weekend. And like recently I went out with some girlfriends on a Monday night and I was like, I can have a, you know, meal out and a glass of wine on a Monday night and probably on the weekend I will eat healthier. But even if I don't like, it doesn't need to be, like you said, an association like weekend or Christmas or Easter when you can learn to balance it out, you're going to be way less likely to overeat at mm. those events. Yeah. Yeah. Like while we're on the weekend, this mm. was like one of the things that I wanted to ask you. When you've got social events, right, mm. so like say we have a barbecue on a Sunday afternoon with friends and someone will always bring chips mm. and even if no one's hungry and like we're going to have the barbecue in half an hour anyway but like everyone will eat all of the chips mm-hmm. Is that like what? What's happening there? Yeah, yeah. What is yeah. happening there? Well, first off, right, you've set the scene. So it's Sunday and it's really, it sounds really enjoyable. Nice start to the week. You know, so no Sunday scaries here. We're having a great time. And we know that the barbecue is coming, but we have these nibblies. Yeah. We're being chips, right? And that's just what we have. Now, is that a bad thing? No, because we're not saying it's good and bad and whatnot. But what tends to happen is there's this association and, and social pairing then that 
you know, and again, this is the strategy I wanted to get to about mindfulness. When you're talking to so many people and if you're operating the barbecue or getting a salad together and you're looking after the kids and whatnot, your attentional focus is all over the place. Yeah. And that action of putting your hand into a bowl of chips and then putting them in your mouth, you have done a bazillion times before and your brain's like, this is something I actually don't need to think about. Yeah. yeah. I can just do it, which is really clever. Yeah. Uh, but thinking about it is actually what should be happening there. And let's elaborate on that mindfulness for people that aren't really aware of it and like what mindful eating can look like. Mm. Cause we've kind of touched on it over the course of the episode and like we're saying mindless, like we're not even thinking about whether we want it and we're just jamming mm. it in our mouth, but there can also be an element to mindful eating where you're like sitting down with the meal yeah. without distractions. You're, you know, looking at it, smelling yes. it, tasting it, mm. eating it in like your really like enjoying the meal because Mm. eating is enjoyable and I think that that's the big thing with Mm. non-hungry eating is it's never mindful yeah we're never actually enjoying it like the you know the third little moon probably wasn't as enjoyable as the first one yeah yeah so that this is this idea of mindfulness and what we want to think about because when we eat our meals mindfully and our snacks and I would also say too that once you've filled out this food diary and you're aware of when this non-hungry eating is happening trying to do that mindfully and noticing the difference yeah. in the experience and that again it's not a prescriptive sort of can't prescribe here because there's so many things that, that could happen but Tegan's right this idea of mindfulness so overarching idea of mindfulness is this non-judgmental present moment awareness and that's quite a mouthful <laughs> but what that means is you're in the here and now Okay, so you're thinking about the current moment and what's happening for you and the emotions and the thoughts and your bodily sensations. And there's also no judgment. It's not good. It's not bad. You know, to say this saying, it is what it is. Right? <laughs> mm. It's just here in the present moment. When we apply it to food, the way I describe this to my clients is I want you to think about being a master chef or a My Kitchen Rules judge. What I mean by that is if you're familiar with those shows, and I'm starting to laugh because I have my dad in my head, <laughs> we watch these shows and, you know, they're going, you know, they put the dish up and they're going on about the food. You know, what you've, what you've created here is just you've taken a, a home staple dish and, and turned it into a culinary masterpiece, <laughs> right? So they start talking about it. And then there's all these different elements that they're, they're rattling off about the food. And why I have my dad in my head is because he's sitting there going, mate, it's cheese on toast. Like, <laughs> let's, you know, let's not get too excited about this, right? I love that. I'm going to be using that so much. The chef in me is just like, yes, that <laughs> is like you are yeah. a master chef judge. You are, you know... Taking in everything about yeah. this meal. Yeah. So also too, like a lot of, if we think about, if we go a bit deeper with that, a lot of the dishes that are presented on those shows is something that they haven't seen before. Now, the thing with our mindless eating and our non-hungry eating is it tends to be food that we've always had. Yeah. So right with the, the little moons, for me, it's probably more just like chocolate. Yeah. It's like, I've had this so many times before that I don't need to think about this. Yeah. But it's exactly what we want to do is think about it. Yeah. Yeah. A different way I say to my bariatric clients, and again, this is because they don't have any wiggle room because their stomach is significantly smaller. I'm like, if you have a piece of chocolate, I need you to get bang for buck from that yeah. experience. Yeah. Because you don't have a whole block to play with yeah you have one or two squares and we can expand this out depending on your nutritional goals your health and well-being goals it could be very much the same so being a master chef right so maybe taking a moment as we go through this exercise think about your favorite food and actually think about what it looks like and as we go through this exercise i want you to also think that at the end of the exercise i have to explain this to someone who has never seen this food before i had a client once and i'm like what's your favorite food and he's like steak 
I'm like, what does steak look like? He's like, it looks like steak. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what steak is, mate. Like, you got to describe it to me. Okay, so again, being a master chef judge, like, what does it actually look like? The next thing is, what does it smell like? Smell is super important because if you've ever had a cold, you'll notice food doesn't taste the same. Yeah, and then you don't get as hungry. You're not as hungry, and that has other biological reasons. But you're a bit off your food game. You're like, oh can't really smell it. Nah, yeah. nah, nah, it doesn't really taste the same. I'm not really that interested. So what does the food smell like? I used to live in Cooparoo, a pub of pub. That probably gives it away a little bit, but I'm not there anymore. And I used to walk There's past- There's not many pubs in Cooparoo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like a one. <laughs> with a thing above it. Yeah, with, a, with an apartment above it. <laughs> Cooparoo Square. But people used to say to me like, oh, you must be, that's so amazing. Like you must be at the pub all the time because there's heaps of different and they like, cafes the, and restaurants. They do the so cooked meat there on that yeah. Sunday. Oh my God. Yeah. But what I noticed is every time I walked past the pub, I could smell hot chip. Mm. And then I worked out, I'm like, I actually think this is a little bit of like a marketing campaign because the vents from the kitchen come out to the the sidewalk and like you're trying to draw people in because that smells really good yeah but people would say to me like oh you must be at the pub all the time or you must be like at the different cafes and restaurants I'm like hardly ever because when I walk through there and I can smell everything and I'm not saying just sniff your food and that's enough (laughs) like but I'm fully taking in like oh that smells really really good but that was kind of like I don't really feel like the food Mm. I'm just appreciating it yeah, I'm smiling so big because we live across the road from KFC. Yeah, and Rhett and I regularly say to each other, "All oh, the KFC smells good today." It's, it's going off. <laughs> I have that when I cook something in a slow cooker, like mm. I do lemon chicken quite oh, often. That happened to me the other night. Yeah. I woke up at one a.m. and I was like, "Oh, that smells good." <laughs> but I find if I've been at home with that slow cooked meal all day, like smelling the lemon chicken, by the time I feed it. You don't want to it. To the kids. I don't want it because I've smelt it all day and yeah. I'm like sick of it. You're satisfied. You're yeah. like, am I a bit sick of it? Yeah. 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 Where like, I, I feel like I've had that meal already. Where I live now is more of an estate. Um, and so I could go for a walk every day around like 5.30. And again, a little bit like your app scenario, a few episodes in our first episode <laughs> yeah. together. I was like, damn, that smells good. Like I wonder what they're cooking and like what can I smell? And I'm trying to work it out. Yeah. But as we're finding, it's like I can smell something and that's even kind of enough if I'm not really truly hungry. Yeah, like me sniffing everyone's cocktails. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Because I don't drink. Because you don't drink, (laughs) yeah. So we want to appreciate what does this look like? What does this smell like? Again, trying to explain it as if you've never had it before. I love that. What yeah, does it me too. smiling yeah. so good because like, I'm, I'm such, taking in all the like, food. I'm such a like foodie. Like I, yes. I genuinely love eating. Yeah. Uh, next up, of course, what does it taste like? Now that seems very obvious. But it's quite interesting that when you commonly engage in mindless eating and not hungry eating and you're just kind of scoffing something down for the sake of it, you're not actually taking in what it tastes like. Mm. And, again, because if you've had this food plenty of times before, you think you know what it tastes like. Now, a great example of this, I always ask my client, well, what's your favourite food? What's your, what's your thing? One client, she's like, oh, I just love Twix chocolate. But she's <laughs> like, you know, I'm really prepared not to have that after my surgery because, again, she's like, I can't have that. Like, And we spoke about that with her dietitian and whatnot. Anyways, and then she came back, you know, maybe eight weeks after a surgery and I'm like, oh, how's your Twix going? Like, you know, maybe you haven't had it yet, but like what thoughts do you have about it? And she's like, you know what? She's like, I've been eating Twix for maybe a couple of decades. And she's like, never thought of it. I'm a bit like, meh, yeah. like it's not really my thing anymore. So, again, then that's what to say. Again, there's a lot of biological changes with with a bariatric surgery and it can definitely change how people feel about certain foods but that doesn't happen for everyone but in this instance it's like again is this something that you actually enjoy or you just think you enjoy it so again what does this food taste like yeah. and explain it like a corny master chef judge or yeah. maybe not corny in this case where you get really descriptive about it 
Yeah. I think for me, and this might be the chef coming out of me, a good activity to help with mindfulness and mindful eating is to plate up your food really nicely. Mm. Like to put it on a nice plate, to present it nicely Mm. rather than just like if you just slop it on the plate, Mm. then you're going to eat it like slop. If you present it nicely, you know, Mm. you're going to sit down at the table, you're going to look at it more, you're going to appreciate the effort that you've put in to make it. Like I'm all for like, as you guys will see on my Instagram story like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved plating up food. Yeah, I love it. It looks so good. I, I try. I mean, mine doesn't look like yours, but I definitely try and make it look nice, especially if we've got people coming over. But I feel like that's something I could do, like what you've just said, at mm-hmm. the table with the kids. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a nice strategy where, to preface to, doing it with children at dinner time is really helpful. Yeah. We're not saying do this for every main meal. Yeah. Right, because you're not a Buddhist monk sitting up being like, I'm going to be really mindful. <laughs> I'm so mindful. But you right? could have a conversation about it with the family. But yes, yeah. having a conversation. Yeah. So yeah. doing things like not having the TV on, sitting at the dinner table, or maybe you don't have a dining table. Some people don't and it's just around the TV. Yeah. But having the TV off and then with your children starting to ask these sorts of questions, you know, a couple of other ones. It's like when you eat the food, what does it feel like? Yeah. Right. So again, we know that texture is quite important in food for some people. And sometimes our children like don't like a certain food because of the feel of it. Yeah. Mm. Sometimes we love food, right? Because it's crunchy and then it's kind of soft and it has different elements, like my magnum, yeah. right? Which is really like velvety on the inside and then it has like this hard, cool chocolate casing on the outside and then like this this like almost sticky caramel in the middle. Yeah. Right, so it's. There's I want to talk about food textures. What about when you have a Betty's burger and the bun's oh, soft, but Betty's. then it's crunchy? Yes. Oh, yeah. that's yeah. best. So Sorry. again, you can start to. That's right. You can start to understand. Well, what are the textures that you appreciate in this certain food? And the last one, which is a little bit weird, is like the sound. What does this food sound like as you eat it? Now, sometimes for some people, that's not really as big of a sensory sort of element, and for some people, they hate the sound of food and they hate the sound of other people eating. So that's you just don't use that one. But those five senses, right, you're starting to build a really almost extravagant, rich understanding of what this food is and you're eating mindfully. Because if you're thinking about those four to five things, you're going to struggle to think about other things at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that would be a really good way for me to work out, especially with Magnolia, like what Mm. she actually does like, what it is about the meal. You know, if she says like, oh, I actually do like this but I don't like this, then I'm like, yes. okay, well, maybe she doesn't like chicken, mm. but she likes this aspect and I could. She likes crunchy chicken. Yeah, she doesn't she like this yeah. it's a textural thing. Yeah. Like that would that's work really, really yeah. well. Yeah. So that's a great strategy with kids because as you're practising this mindful eating with them, you're also thinking about it too. So it's like, oh, this is really yummy, mum. It's like, okay, cool. Like what do you like about it? Yeah. What can you taste? Yeah. And maybe what things aren't you really enjoying about the meal? Yeah. I would also say too that as we become more mindful with our eating and our our non-hungry eating or eating for other reasons, we can dip back into that hunger and fullness scale. So maybe with children you can make it more of like a five-point scale because 10 is quite elaborate. Right, but then maybe before you eat, you can say to your children, like, you could, I don't know, you could make it visual, you could make a graph, like, whatever does it for you in your family. Yeah. And be like, hey, rate yourself, like, how hungry are you? Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Maybe you get their favorite characters on there and it's like, yeah, I, I don't know. One with like a full belly and one with like, yeah. Yeah. That they're looking really tired or something. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, okay, everyone, like, write their name where you are on this, like, on the whiteboard, how hungry you are. I think that's so clever. And yeah, then when they say, clever. like, oh, no, I'm full. Yeah. Oh, write that on, like, on the board. Like, so again, and again, there's no judgment. 
Yeah. It's not wrong that you're not hungry or that you're starving or that you're overly full or whatnot to begin with. Yeah. Building an understanding. Like noting. noting of like when I eat certain foods, this is how it makes me feel. Yeah. So I really wanted to get into boredom eating because I think that's a really common one that people mm-hmm. struggle with. So what strategies would you have for someone that's experiencing like boredom eating or like eating for they probably think I don't know why I'm doing it and it's probably boredom. Yeah. Yep. So maybe they've gone through that process and they've identified, hey, I'm actually really bored. I'm not stressed. Um, I'm not, not stressed. emotional. I'm just yeah. doing it. Yeah. I'm just, I'm bored. It's something to do. Yeah. And you would pick that up because you would notice these feelings of boredom or disinterest in what you're doing or procrastination or whatnot. Then you eat and momentarily you feel, I don't know, excited is the word, but you have a shift in that feeling. It's something to do. It's you something have a task, to do. Yeah. yeah. So of course there's, there's different ways you could satisfy the boredom. Right. So is it about changing task? Right. Is the thing that you're working on, you just need to shift gears and look at something else for a while. Right. So still and I say that because in the context of work, you might not be like, Well, I can't just get up and go for a walk outside. Mm. Right. I need to be seen that I'm doing work. So can you change task? When does I would also ask if it's happening more to work this idea of boredom eating, when typically is that happening? Right. Is this happening maybe like mid morning or mid afternoon? Yeah. Because and what has the work looked like so far to that point? Maybe you, it is actually time for a rest. Maybe it's not boredom. Maybe it's tiredness. Yeah. Right? But again, you could also look at things like okay, maybe I can actually factor in a break here. I can go for a walk outside. So starting to think about any other sort of stimulus, right? Maybe not other mindless things like scrolling on your phone. Yeah. Because that's not really going to satisfy boredom. It will short term, but long term it's not. Right. So this is where I have clients and during their lunch break, they're like, yeah, you know, I'm in the aircon office all day. I'll leave. There's a park down the road and I sit there and I eat. And then once I finish eating, I read my book. And I just take my book to work each day. That's the thing that I enjoy doing. Yeah. Right. So factoring something else in there. So that, again, you can think about any sort of boredom buster that you like. But I would also challenge this idea of boredom. Right. So again, I have clients, you know, I'm just, just so bored. Even I sometimes say, oh, this is really boring. Is boring a bad thing? Or can we? It's like our generation, right? I have to say that to the kids all the time. I'm like, because, you know, if they're not stimulated or doing something or playing sport, they're like, I'm bored. I'm like, you just have to get used to that because sometimes you're going to be bored. There's a Bluey episode actually that explains it really well. So it's like any other sort of emotional experience is that, first off, is this bad? Well, no, we're trying to be mindful. So let's get rid of it. Like boredom is boredom and it's an experience. Can you sit with and accept boredom? Yeah. It's like, I, I think I heard it on another podcast recently, like how uncomfortable we feel if we have to be in a line and we don't have our phone. Mm, oh my God. Do you know what I mean? Like well. we've, we've got to this point where we need to be constantly stimulated yeah. that we don't even have a proper scope of what boredom is. We're yeah. just saying we don't have immediate stimulation. Yeah. And sometimes I'm like, oh, I'm so bored. And I'm like, this is awesome. Like being bored is so good because yeah. like in the complexity of life, yeah. if I'm bored, I'm like, sweet, I'm just going to lap this boredom up yeah. while it lasts. That's actually so funny because when we were in Bali recently, Rhett and I were sitting at, a, we were having a drink and he was just like sitting there and he wasn't talking to me. And I was like, are you going to talk to me? Like, this is so boring. <laughs> Entertain me. Mm. And he's like, I was just having like a quiet, like quiet moment. moment. <laughs> like I was just soaking it all in. Yeah. Poor Rhett's being mindful of his environment. <laughs> Tegan's just like, how like, dare you? Me. <laughs> I know we have to wrap up soon. But with the boredom, this is probably something we'd have to go into another episode or like it's something people could see you about. But I think for someone like me, the issue with boredom and the fear of boredom is my like brain yes. starts going like, 
on and on and on and on. Yeah. So I feel like to break that, it's it's not necessarily a boredom thing. It's what happens when I'm bored. And sometimes we find that that we get confused. We confuse boredom eating. So we're like, I just do it because I'm bored. Yeah. And it's like, what are you avoiding? Yeah. Avoidance of sitting in a space of being with own thoughts and yeah. feelings, right? Yeah. So, again, where mindfulness is really difficult because it's like I've got these these thoughts and I'm experiencing these emotions and I'm trying to be this mindful Buddhist monk. Yeah. Trying to aspire towards that. Or what is it? Eat, pray, love. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Julia Robert, <laughs> when she's sitting there getting eaten by mosquitoes and she's like, oh, I'm just being mindful. <laughs> that's what we're aspiring towards. Yeah. And that's where I would say this is when we start to unpack it more and there's deeper layers there where it's like, okay, this is where, you know, talking to someone, whether that be a counsellor or a psychologist or whatnot, or even starting with your GP and being like, I actually think there's deeper things to this. It's whatever, an avoidance yeah. behaviour of whatever yeah. I'm trying to avoid and I'm I'm sort of signalling that it's boredom eating. Yeah. But it's actually avoidance deeper. eating. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a different space as well where it's like putting your hand up and being like, there are certain icky things there. Yeah. Icky emotions that I'm, you know that I'm going to have trouble sitting with and accepting and that's where you can seek support. Yeah. Well, this has been bloody brilliant (laughs) and once again I've taken so much from the episode and I feel like other people are going to as well and I can't wait to share it with everyone. So thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for having me again. And Tegan and I are going to do a little recap so stay tuned if you feel like this has brought up any issues and perhaps you would like to see a professional, the details for her business in motion psychology. Yep, you can find me at emotionpsychology.com. If you Google my name and psychologist, I pop up, I have tried it. And also on Instagram, emotion psychology. All right. Thank you so much, Emma. No worries. Thank you. Well, that was amazing. And as I said, I'm just so excited for everyone to hear this because I think that it's something that so many people deal with and I think that everyone's going to get so much from it. I know that I've already got so much from it and we actually did record the interview yesterday and we're recapping it today and last night when I was having dinner we actually sat down as a family at the table and I made the kids identify some of the like textures and um, it was they weren't really into it at the time because they they were both exhausted from school and then cricket training but I'm definitely going to try it on the weekend when they're feeling fresh but it worked for me like I maybe you should get them little master chef hats that's such a cute idea or like the aprons yeah and put your apron on and yeah. get ready to that's so, so cute. cute yeah I might do that actually Sol was more into it I was like do you like this? Is it yummy? And he's like, yummy. And I was like, well, at least one person's engaging. Kev loved it. He's like, what's the texture like? <laughs> yummy. <laughs> what's delicious. the smell like? Yummy. <laughs> You're like, I'll take it. <laughs> it's pretty much how it went down. But yeah, I was mindful of everything I ate this yesterday afternoon. I can't say that I actually stopped eating when I got full, but I was mindful of it. And you know, yeah, I was pretty exhausted last night um, after we had recorded and then I had some face-to-face clients in the Arvo and I trained myself. And as you know, I was up really late organizing, moving stuff at a ridiculous hour because I couldn't sleep. But I actually went to go and get some dinner and I was so tired that I was like, oh, I can't really even be bothered. Yeah, And then I like 
just sat down for a second and I could feel my hunger and I was like, you need to eat food. You can't just skip dinner because you're tired. Not that I ever, ever really do that. That's just the level of tired that I was last night. You've had a lot going on. (laughs) And I was thinking, oh, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and I'm going to be on the the starving level. So, yeah, yeah, made myself very easy. Tuna salad, got it in, straight to bed, great night's sleep. Yeah, good. Yeah. So just wanted to go through and summarise what Emma talked about before we sign off for today. So I think the biggest things that I got out of it, and like I was saying at the start, I was so excited to learn from Emma and there's going to be so much that I can practically apply to my clients and also just know when to maybe refer them on if I'm seeing emotional eating behaviours happening again and again and again. Yeah. And maybe they disclose to me the reasons behind it or I can sense that there's something going on that they might need to see someone professionally about. That was really useful. Yeah. Um, But I think what I got out of it, the most important thing essentially at the start is to identify the type. So Mm. are you eating for association? Like is it just something you do because that's the time that we do things or this is the occasion that we do things on because dealing with that is going to be different to dealing with boredom hunger. So why are we eating? So, So just identifying is it association? Is it boredom? Is it emotional eating? Because the strategies behind dealing with those are going to be a little bit different. Yeah. Then identify like what you're getting from it. Like Emma said, we're doing the behavior because we're getting something from it. Yeah. So identifying what the emotion is or if it's filling that boredom need or if we're doing it because it's social. So identifying why we're doing it or what type it is, what we're getting out of it because we are getting something out of it and then start to trial out some different strategies. Yeah. And like we said on the episode, it's not about just trying this one thing and it might be the fix. You might need to try a few different strategies in order to find one that really works for you. Yeah. Just setting your environment up for success. Obviously, if you're boredom eating and there's a big pile of fresh made cookies on the counter all the time, (laughs) like you're going to you're going to be more susceptible to falling into those patterns again. Or if you know that you're an emotional eater and you know that you're, you know, dealing with some challenging emotional times at the moment and you have a house full of soul foods or a house full of foods that you don't want to consume, then really considering whether you're setting your environment up for success. And then the last kind of takeaway that I got from it was to seek help. And that might be talking to your friends and family about what you're struggling with. It might look like seeing someone like Emma, especially if you're dealing with emotional eating or if you're struggling with techniques on how to you know work around association eating or boredom eating you could really work with a coach or nutritionist on that as well so that would again stem back into identifying what the type is and you know your strategy for dealing with that might involve outsourcing and getting some extra help yeah that's so true and I feel like you and I both got a lot from that exercise where she said to us like what was the feeling before what was Mm. the feeling during what's the feeling after and I feel like you know that's exactly what you would unpack with a psychologist and it's yeah, really definitely. interesting what that brings up. Yeah, I found the com- like from a personal level I found the conversation really interesting because it was a really good reflection on how far I have come with my own eating patterns and behaviors and I can see times in the past where I've done all the all the different types of them the association eating, the boredom eating, the emotional eating and it was nice to feel that I'm not as controlled by those sorts of things as I know I was, you know, five to 10 years ago. So it was a nice reflection that if you do the work, even if you're not as focused on it from the aspect of psychology, it's definitely going to put you in a better position to have better tools to deal with these things when they crop up. Yeah, absolutely. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. We hope you've gotten just as much out of it as we have. As always, we appreciate everyone that has taken the time to listen to our podcast. We trust that you have found value in this episode. If today's episode landed for you and you feel like you know someone who will get a lot out of it as well, please forward them the episode, which you can do straight out of the podcast listening platform. We are so grateful for our bread and better community and we can't wait to bring you more episodes to enrich your lives. See you next week. Bye guys.